It just has this energy and this incredible spirit to it. Actually, we did put a lot of thought into it, believe it or not. <laughs> People say, oh, well, of course, Los Angeles Guitar Quartet. It's not an instantaneous thing. I mean, to, make, to do something meaningful, you have to stick with it. This piece called Wild Mountain Time that my father used to sing. We had it on an LP somewhere at, at home, but it's my father, one of my father's favorite songs. And, you know, the thing is, I remembered that. And, um, and I just started, you know, it was always kind of inside me, kind of part of my DNA, I guess. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the inaugural episode of All Strings Considered. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. Today, we're talking with classical guitarist Scott Tennant. For those of you who are hearing that name for the first time, Scott Tennant is the author of probably the best-known and most respected classical guitar technique book in existence. It's called Pumping Nylon. Trust me, if I could do anything near a passable Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, I would be doing it now. Scott is also a member of the Grammy-winning Los Angeles Guitar Quartet and a renowned pedagogue. I had the opportunity to study with Scott while doing my doctorate at USC, and so had the chance to experience Scott's playing, performing, and teaching firsthand. Not to mention his great sense of humor, and the guy has a wonderful first name. Today we're going to hear a few of Scott's favorite pieces, we're going to get a little bit of behind the scenes on some of those, on recording them and playing them, performing them, we're going to hear some valuable advice on practice, and a little bit about Scott's other love, coffee. Let's see now, when I was 14, I took my first class with Pepe. And I remember asking him, because he, you know, his flamenco blew me away. Pepe's flamenco, as well as his classical. And I remember after a class, I, would it help if I studied flamenco? And he said, absolutely. And he said, there's a guy in Detroit, Juan Serrano, who was living there at the time with his wife. And he and this, his, uh, this dancer, Maria del Carmen, who ran a dance, a flamenco dance school in her basement. Juan Serrano would play for Maria del Carmen. Juan's students would play for her students. And then they, every year they'd have this big, huge concert. And I started and I loved it. I studied with Juan, well, several years until he moved to California. So when he left, I ended up uh, actually playing for the dancers that he had been playing for. Now, I played for her students. But now I was playing for her dance class, and I was playing for all the shows they would put on, and I was I was the guy that played, you know, was the accompanist. It was such a good education. As you know, you play for dancers and singers as well. You can learn all the solo falsettas and all the really virtuosic stuff you want, but you won't have good compas, you won't have good rhythm and feeling if you ignore playing for dancers or singers. I'm glad I did it, and it definitely, definitely opened up possibilities for interpreting Spanish music. While we're on the topic of Spanish music, I'd like to introduce you to the first piece we'll be listening to in its entirety. This is a work by Joaquin Rodrigo, and is titled Entre Olivares, which Scott translates for us as Among the Olive Groves. You drive for hours and hours, with this, uh, especially when it's hot, you get this scent of strong olive, you know, it's earthy, earthy, this aroma of olives and all the olive oil that's stored in these huge clay containers. And you look at these trees and you get out of the car and you stand in the middle and there's this sort of buzz. You hear the bees. 
like the earth is singing or something. And it makes sense to me in that piece. It's like he captured it. I can totally relive any experience I had with the olive groves there. When played is written, the introduction to the piece is especially difficult. It took the better part of a year to work that up to tempo. He doesn't say to strum them, you know, he doesn't indicate that at all. He wants them, I think, articulated. And so I tried the chords, you know, the da 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 That goes on for a good 15 to 20 seconds. Now, it doesn't seem like a long time, but that's a long time to bounce your hand going da 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 After trying a bunch of stuff, I thought, I really want to articulate it, pluck them and not strum them. So I gradually worked it up slowly, and it took the better part of a year to work that up to tempo. I knew it was a tempo I couldn't maintain like on a concert tour. I couldn't even take a lot of takes in the recording session. And so sure enough, I was able to get two takes. That, and then basically I had to rest my hand for about half an hour after that because it was just, it's so intense. It's a feat in itself just to get any piece in two takes, not to mention an introduction as brutal as this one. But I got what I wanted. That's the, that's the important thing. I got the effect I wanted. Uh, even though when I started performing it on tour, I eventually had to go, I had to strum the chords because, uh, you know, you can't, night after night, I just couldn't do that. After, the, after a while, I thought, you know, if I can't play it exactly how I want it, and I took it off the program, sadly, because it's, I just, you know, I had to make too many compromises. But at least I got it recorded exactly how I wanted it, and I'm happy with that. Before we listen to the piece, let's talk about Rodrigo's style a little bit. He uses, first of all, that whole Spanish school, you know, the uh, Rodrigo, uh, Granados, uh, Albanis, Faya, uh, Rodrigo. It's a very traditional thing, first of all, to use Spanish idioms that come essentially from flamenco and rhythms, dances, melodies. There's essentially three, three sections. You have two outer sections and a middle section. Now, the two outer sections are, in most cases, slightly quicker and, and dance-like. The center section is sort of the creamy middle, you know, with the song. The famous uh, Albanis uh, Lienda, Asturias, a very good example of that. The two outer sections are, in most cases, slightly quicker and, and dance-like. center section is sort of the creamy middle, you know, with the song. And all of Rodrigo's music, at least that I've, I've come across, his instrumental music has the same element. Now it could be also a faster middle with two slower, Majorca is a good example of that, Albanus Majorca, where the middle is fast. The idea is that you have three sections with a middle section that is very different in energy and tempo. The last thing we want to talk about with Rodrigo is his use of dissonance. The dissonance, which is a, a major color in his music, a texture I guess you could call it even, it's very textural the way he uses it. Perhaps Rodrigo's simplest use of this is taking a dissonant sound like this one and putting it into a normal sounding chord like this one. And what we end up with is this incredibly colorful sounding chord like this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Probably my favorite Rodrigo composition. And I, you know, I'm a huge Rodrigo fan. But Entre Olivares is by far my favorite guitar piece. It just, it's my favorite piece of his period. Orchestral guitar, piano, bar none. Uh, it just has this energy and this incredible spirit to it. So here's Scott Tennant playing Entre Olivares. Thank you. 
We started in 1980. Uh, I, when I first came out to USC as a freshman, Pepe Romero, who was teaching, this is the reason I came out to USC to study Pepe Romero, he put four of us together because he wanted a student group that he could coach in his uh, classes. Uh, because, you know, the Romero Quartet. The Romero Quartet is often called the royal family of the guitar. Basically, they founded that platform and uh, wanted a quartet to work with. It was his idea that, okay, Scott is going to be in this group with Bill Cannon-Geyser and John Dearman, who are still in the quartet, uh, that the core, I guess, group for uh, the last 30-plus years. We're all students of Pepe's. It's been the centerpiece of my all of our lives for, for 32 years now. We didn't even have a name, I and mean, we were just like four people playing guitar. Soon after that, we got our heads together and, and uh, without too much brain power, came up with the USC Guitar Quartet. And then, okay, that went about as far as it could, and then we thought, well, let's, let's really try to do this maybe as a profession, or see how far we can get, you know, maybe, maybe it'll not take off, but it could be fun. Again, with uh, even less brain power, we thought, how about Los Angeles Guitar Quartet? Actually, we did put a lot of thought into it, believe it or not. <laughs> People say, oh, well, of course, Los Angeles Guitar Quartet. You take sugar? I'm gonna go without. Okay. Because it was so smooth last night. I'd had good coffee, you know, like in Spain, you know, you go to the bar in the morning and you get your cortado and just awesome stuff. And so we experienced that, but then we went to Italy and, and had the real thing. After that trip, we kind of went our separate ways, you know, for, before the next gig. And, and before you know it, I'd say within, certainly within a month, we all had our own espresso machine. And. <laughs> And um, and we still do, you know. We're but while we're always upgrading and uh, you know playing around with it. John has a really classic uh, Pavoni machine with the hand pump that really takes a lot of practice. Bill has gone through a progression of machines like myself. Scott has somewhat of an underground following for his coffee. It's probably no coincidence that the regular meeting place for LAGQ rehearsals is Scott's house a.k.a. Café Ole. When Scott describes his coffee making, it wouldn't be much of a stretch to equate that same attention to detail and quest for perfection to music making, or any labor of love. But the bottom line is, I mean, I just, I won't, if it's just not satisfactory, I won't drink it. So for me, it's the pleasure of just practicing and, and uh, trying to get better at it. Also, when the bean gets a little old, you know, when I first buy the beans and they're pretty fresh, the grind is it's so smooth. You know, but uh, it's amazing. Like a Guinness, you know, when the when the uh, when it can go flat, like a Guinness can, so you get less foam. When you get more foam or crema, you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's gonna be good. So, cheers, cheers. I think what we learn on guitar is, you know, the discipline and the skills and the the techniques for study that we apply to guitar playing certainly bleeds over to the rest of our lives. The, you know, the, the patience, <laughs> you know, um, that's a big deal. Patience, having patience with yourself and others. And as a teacher, too, it's, it's obviously having patience with your students and understanding that it's a process. I think you can equate anything you do in life with whatever your favorite discipline is. Sometimes if I have a student who just can't get something, I just kind of, we stop the lesson for a bit and I, we talk about, you know, I ask them what some of their hobbies are and what they do really well and what they have fun doing and 
And there's always something that they do well. So I say, well, okay, what about um, bowling? Okay, let's say, what about, although very few guitarists bowl because, you know, we need fingernails. <laughs> I mean, you can't have fingernails if you bowl. You know, you, you ask them about it and you find out they put in the same amount of discipline and work and patience that it takes for us to play the guitar. And so finally they get it. They get the fact that, you know, it's okay to be a little frustrated, but you have to just keep going so, okay. and trust the process. Secret blend. I have a good little home setup. Uh, it's 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 certainly more than what I need, but less than what I want. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, you always want the next new shiny, more powerful thing. I think that's just a maybe it's a maybe it's a guy thing. It's a guy thing. You know, it's just, I'm never satisfied. Um, you notice there are no curtains in my house here, no rugs, no carpet, but it's like I got this really cool espresso machine. And the grinder, which I just got, is this awesome 400-watt motor. <laughs> it's like, you don't need, I don't need 400 watts, but I thought, since I'm going to upgrade anyway, but it was so, in fact, so big, I couldn't put it on the kitchen counter I had it on initially, so I had to move it over. Oh. Now I have literally a coffee bar. And I'm thinking, now, the next the progression would be to, like, to put it on wheels and go out into the street and <laughs> test it out there. And then, you know, just thinking about what am I going to do for retirement, you know, maybe, maybe that's the key. 25 years following the establishment of the ensemble, LAGQ received a Grammy for the album LAGQ's Guitar Heroes. Their homage to jazz, rock, and fingerstyle greats like Frank Zappa, Jimi Hendrix, Pat Metheny, Django Reinhardt, John McLaughlin, Steve Howe and Ralph Towner, Chet Atkins, and others. It's a tribute to all of our, you know, all the people we idolized over the years. They were also nominated for LAGQ Latin, but perhaps most important would be my fiance's favorite, LAGQ Brazil. My first work was scarce. Uh, we were touring around in John's Volvo wagon. You know, I think, I think, in fact, we were probably the cause of its death. Uh, I mean, we we toured all over the Western U.S. in that in that car. <laughs> You know, we, I remember one time we flew to Germany for a weekend. We were so happy to get a gig there. And I think if, you know, we got paid some, I think it barely covered our airfare. That's what I always tell pe students, you know, or people who want to make a go of this, you know, it's not an instantaneous thing. I mean, to make, to do something meaningful, you have to stick with it. And it sounds simple, but if anybody asks us what's the key to your success, that's the first thing I would say, is you gotta just, you have to hang in there. Let's hear the first track on the Guitar Heroes album. Uh, it's one of Scott's favorites. It's a tribute to Chet Atkins, and it's titled Blue Echo slash Country Gentleman.
You'll arrange that, and that's that's a lot of fun to play. Do. Do or do not. Or do not. There is no try. Yeah, I, I wanted to have fun with the book. It took me um, way over a year to write it. In fact, probably two years to complete the whole thing. It's not a big book, but the stuff I put in it, I wanted it to I wanted it to mean something. And you know, frankly, I only put it together because I was a little tired of having all these different materials I'd be giving my students, and I would literally have a pile of copies and things I'd printed out and handwritten. So I started to compile it, and I thought, well, if I'm going to do this work, why not contact a publisher? I honestly expected it to do nothing. I basically just wanted it, it was a selfish thing, so I could give it to my students and say, here you go, practice this. This is not a method, it's just a handbook. It's just all the stuff I compiled that was helpful to me personally. The title, you know, I was really into lifting weight. It wasn't bodybuilding, it was like lifting weight, clean and jerk and all that stuff. And of course the Bible back then was Arnold Schwarzenegger's Pumping Iron. Uh, the movie had just come out and the book. We just want the bomb. All my friends had the book. I had the book. You are. And I always made a joke that if I ever had a book, I'm going to call it Pumping Nylon. Wouldn't that be funny? All my friends would laugh. The old adage, you have to be careful what you joke about, is very true because, you know, I joked around about it enough where I actually ended up doing it. And I think it was published in, what, 95 or I want to say. You talked about rockers and stuff having it, which is true. Recently this summer, one of my personal heroes, and I hope he hears this podcast at some point, Robert Bartow, a lute player, arguably the best Baroque lute player that I know. I mean, uh, I, I idolize, of course, Paul Odette, who arguably is perhaps the best lute player ever, but Robert Bartow plays the Baroque lute, plays a lot of pieces by Bach and Weiss, and, and I have all his recordings. I, I heard that he was kind of a shy, reclusive kind of guy, and he does concerts once in a while. But I met him this summer. I was at a cafeteria table. This was in Harrisburg, Germany. And he had just gotten in that morning. And I thought, oh man, I'm going to miss him because I'm leaving. Well, it just so happened that he got in in time and he came to lunch in the, in the cafeteria where we're all staying. And he comes over and introduces himself. He says, hi, I'm Robert Bartow. I play the lute. And I look at him and I said, well, I know. I said, wow, it's a pleasure to meet you. He came up to me because he wanted to tell me that he loved my book and he practices all the exercises on his lute. And I thought, that is just fantastic. I loved, I, I just enjoyed hearing that so much. The whole thing about practice is that you have to be very focused and specific. I wasn't getting anything out of my practice, you know, when I was in college. And, you know, like typical college student, I was in class all day, and I'd come home and I'd make my rice and roni, which I ate every day, much to my mom's horror. And then I would do my homework, and then I'd, then I'd practice. So maybe from 9 o'clock on, I'd start practicing. Well, I wasn't getting anything done. So I went to Pepe Romero. What am I doing wrong? He said, well, he said, it sounds like you're just playing your guitar for several hours every night. And he goes, well, do something about that. You have to be focused. You have to know what you're doing. Do you know what you're doing? I said, no. I'm just playing everything I know and ho you know, hoping I'm get better. And a lot of us practice like that too. We play and we play and we play and we play until we make a mistake and then we go, aha! I knew I'd make a mistake. See? I suck. He is the first person that suggested I make it like a work day, that I have a plan. I start at a certain hour, I end at a certain hour, put the guitar in the case and, and, then, and then that's it. Go home from the office, so to speak. What I tell people now is my practice is divided into basically one-hour chunks, sometimes half-hour chunks. The thing is, each of those time periods is very, very concentrated, and I know exactly what I'm going to do before I sit down. 
I know what I need to work on. The bottom line is I'm just very specific and I don't spin my wheels. When I practice, I make it practice, but when I play, I just play. You have to do that. You have to play because all work and no play makes uh, Joaquin uh, an unhappy boy. <laughs> That's right. So, yes, you have to save time to play. And when you play, just have fun. Speaking of play, for the final portion of our program, we'll be talking to Scott about one of his favorite projects, Wild Mountain Time. I'd love to. Uh, that's actually of the projects I've done. I think that's probably my favorite. It allowed me to kind of play with my roots a little bit. You know, I grew up with a family that we played a lot of music. I mean, my parents did. My father, who was not a musician in any way, had a tin ear, but loved music, dearly loved music. We had LPs, records playing all the time, and so my brother and I would listen to, I think I was the only kid on the block that listened to bagpipe music, because my father was a proud Scot. And I love bagpipe music, and he'd bring these, you know, amidst his, uh, my mom had these Montovani records, and, and uh, we had gypsy, Hungarian gypsy music, and we had, uh, later of course, guitar came into the mix. He bought me my first LP, it was Julian and John. You know, the first duet album with the William Laws piece on it, and oh, wow, I just fell in love. But we had all kinds of music, and I also grew up in a very eclectic neighborhood in Detroit. So you had different, you know, all kinds of food, you had all kinds of music. It was such a rich environment to grow up in. Wild Mountain Time allowed me to go back and explore all the music that I, first of all, I really loved project that somehow had Celtic roots to it. All the pieces have some sort of a British Isles connection. It's hard to believe because you have Spanish composer Antonio Ruiz Pipo, and it's music from the north of Spain. You can hear the bagpipes, you know, the drone of that introduction to the dance is bagpipe music. You have American composers, so they're not all Irish folk tunes. Uh, there are some, in fact, some of it's a stretch. Dusan Bogdanovich, I included a piece of his on there, Mysterious Habitats. You know, it's in no way Celtic, I admit, but the mood of the piece fit that whole project to a T, and I could not include it. So Don Dallin, of course, was born in Ireland. That's fair game, right? Yeah, to be sure. To be sure, aye, that's right. So it was a lot of fun. The other piece on that record that means a lot to me is the title track, Wild Mountain Time. And it's a very simple tune. The arrangement I did is just exceedingly simple. Back in the days when I was a student and used to play restaurants for food and a little money, I would come up with these sort of doodles, you know, and these arrangements, and I played around with this piece called Wild Mountain Time that my father used to sing. We had it on an LP somewhere at home, but it's my father, one of my father's favorite songs, and so he would sing it to my brother and I, and, and I just started, you know, it was always kind of inside me, kind of part of my DNA, I guess, and I just, I connect that with my father. It's a beautiful tune, and, and so whenever I play that in concert, I'm just remembering my father. On that note, I'm going to conclude the program with Wild Mountain Time in just a moment. But first, I want to say thanks for listening to All Strings Considered. I'm Scott Wolf, and today we were talking with Scott Tennant. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making this for you. Until next time, here's Wild Mountain Time, played by Scott Tennant. <laughs>